Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Well, I think a first for us this week, we're going transatlantic. We are. I'm quite excited, actually. We are um, talking to one of the most successful writers of nonfiction in the world, I think. Yeah. And also who writes biographies, which are always actually see the best in people, which is not normally a recipe for making money. Yeah. I mean, interesting to talk to him about how he does it, actually. This is uh, J. Randy Tarabarelli. Um, who we're going to be speaking to in a minute, who's just published, I think it's about 10th or 11th book, um, all about Jackie Kennedy, a really, really interesting subject. And it's a cracking book too. Um, but yeah, he seems to manage to kind of do scandalous stuff that reveals secrets and yet always seems to be quite respectful um, yes. and positive and about people in his books, which is maybe one reason why people like him so much. Have you met it's him before? It's a great gift. Sorry? it's. Do you know him? No, I, I, I know of his books, but um, uh, I, no, I just reached out. Well, you know, we both reached out to him. I think we just thought he, because of the range of books he writes and because of this new book on Jackie, uh, he would make a good guest, and I, I'm sure he will. It's also such a amazing period, isn't it? The early 60s, America, the White House. She was so young and, and, and smart and stylish and Kennedy, we didn't know really then. I mean, we were, both of us were very young. People didn't know then behind the scenes. It was like drinking and uh, compulsive womanizing and all sorts of bad stuff. But actually, the public image of the of the American presidency has never been higher, has it? I don't think. No. Ever. And, and what a contrast in some ways to what we were hearing about last week with Alistair. You know, this is what it's come to. Uh, and you can see this nostalgia and the affection, I suppose, of that period and those sort of presence, which you had terrific style. Yeah, I think style is the key word, isn't it? Um, for Jackie, although uh, I'm sure we'll get into this um, in his book, uh, Jackie herself had, had a very challenging life. Um, and it wasn't as perhaps as, as gilded and as easy as, as one might think. 
um, from her public image, certainly when when um, when she was the first lady. Yeah, I was surprised how much how much of it was completely fresh and new with a slightly different slant. Um, you know, you you imagine the subjects being done, and actually, you know, even these well known subjects can 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 be seen in a completely new light with new information. Well, I've found this. I'm sure you've found this too. Most people in our business, if your business is television, as mine has been for a long time, or even uh, writing, most people just don't have the time to do original research. And if you take the time and you find original sources and new people, you always get new angles and sometimes really different new perspectives on on big stories. I mean, we talked about my Diana biography, uh, but lots of things. I'm sure you've had that experience when you did Edward and and when you did Mountbatten. Absolutely. No, I think the key is doing the research, putting the legwork and the preparation. And as you say, not enough people do that when they write books, which is a shame. Anyway, before we go to Randy... Do you want to hear some news? We are big in Belgium. Uh, right. <laughs> we're gradually moving big, across the globe. When I say uh, big, it's just a relative word. We're, we're breaking into the charts, right? uh, the Apple podcast charts, at lowish levels, it has to be said, um, in all sorts of unlikely bases. I, think I mentioned Greece last week. Well, we finally broke into the all-important Belgian market. So if you're listening right. in the Is game, there a lot of competition? Um, I, well, an awful lot of, um, obviously, foreign language, um, Belgian, Dutch. Uh, but quite a lot of BBC podcasts, I noticed. In, in right, the, interesting. Uh, so if you are listening in Liège. And um, are we getting some nice comments still? Or um, Actually, I haven't really I'm prepared for this properly because I do love showing off, as you know, and I like people to know what people think and giving people name checks. Some really nice ones, actually, about last week's show about American, about Biden and Trump. Uh, one of the best podcasts on YouTube. Keep going. Thank you, says Maria Margiasi, 1983. Um, that was very close to home, says Bill Tremendous. Um, but I enjoyed it nevertheless. Um, fantastic interview, says Yongi Matador. Hongi. Keep fighting a good fight, says Rebecca Day. So some people, some people are liking what we're doing, Andrew. Some people are. Oh, good. Good. And are people going back to the, to the, to the, the previous videos, podcasts and looking at those? Well, yeah, we, you know, it's, Again, YouTube gives us the best data, but we for every hundred views we get of a new show, we seem to get about two or three hundred of the old shows. So I think there are some people out there that find us and then look go looking for more things from the past. And if you're one of those people, may I encourage you to keep looking. Um so thanks yeah. for everybody who's and, finding us and joining in. And we'd love to know of things that you want us to do. I mean, we've got a couple of ideas. I think we're thinking that maybe we might take a break for a few weeks. We've both got books to, to finish, and maybe that's an opportunity for people to come back to us and, and say what they would like for the new season. Yes, yeah, so we're going to do another couple, I think, and then have a break at the sort of end of August for a couple of weeks. Um, next week is um, the Vatican, Scandals of the Vatican, I reckon, if we can make that interview happen. Um, and lots of other exciting things um, coming up. But let us know what you like. We've already had a couple of shows based on audience suggestions, and we're keen to do more. Great. And is this a good opportunity then to go to Randy? I think it is. Come on, America. This is London calling. Well, Randy, welcome to our podcast. You're the first American author or first American subject we've had on. Uh, And that's because we're great fans of your work. uh, And congratulations on the success of Jackie. Um, Thank you. The first question I wanted to ask is, is, you've written lots of books on the Kennedys. So why have you come back to the subject? Well, this is actually uh, my fifth book about the Kennedys, Jackie, Public, Private, uh, Secret. Um, I've I've written 
about Jackie in context with other characters in the family, but I never had the opportunity to write about her, um, her own life, um, as it were, from cradle to grave, as they say. And at first I thought, well, you know, maybe there's not much more that I can say because, you know, there are probably a hundred books out about Jackie and I have them all. Um, but then I started doing more research and I started going back over my files of, over the last 25 years. And I started to realize that there actually was a lot more to say because most of the other books, in fact, all of the other books have been through the lens of the Kennedys and not through the lens of her own family, the Auchincloss's and the Bouvier's and the Lees. And I thought, you know, wow, you know, she had her own family members that people don't know anything about. Her stepfather, Hugh Auchincloss, her half-brother, Jamie Auchincloss, her half-sister, Janet Jr., her mom, Janet. And and why don't we do something that is sort of seen through through their eyes? And that is really, that was the impetus of this, of this book, Public-Private Secret. And that gave you, I mean, not just this new focus, but a lot of new information, didn't it? I mean, that's a new perception of her, I think. I mean, how would you categorize the, the, the new picture that you've, we've now got of her? Well, I think that it's a, it's a more complete picture, you know, because I think that when, you know, when you look at somebody through, through the eyes of their family, as opposed to their in-laws, right, I think you see a, a, a sort of a more authentic picture. I think that I, 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 I think that may, maybe it could be said that people put on a certain f- facade for the in-laws, but not necessarily for their own family members. And that's what I found in researching this book. The stories that were being told to me were just so intimate and personal and 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 shed some, so much light on a, a different aspect of Jackie's personality than what's already known. That once I got into it, I realized, yeah, this is this is the book for me. You know, and plus I had met Jackie back in the 1980s. And so I, I had a, I had a picture of her already in mind. Uh, well, and anytime, always- anytime you, yeah, she was a double day, uh, in 1980, in the 1980s, uh, when I was an author at Double Day. I got to interrupt to offer you some unsolicited praise for the best opening introduction. Picture painting of a biography I've read for ages. You as a young writer, she as an editor, talking about biographies and how they need to be um, provocative and reveal secrets. And then here you are, a few decades later, writing her own. No, it's a it's a beautiful picture you paint actually of her. I mean, I always thought, I guess that she was kind of like this spoiled child from this very rich background, and she'd had a gilded life, and it all been rather easy for her. But crikey, not the case at all from the way you tell the story of her upbringing. Um, well, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, what, you know, the thing that, it, that fascinated me as I wrote in the book about Jackie was, was that, you know, you, you think of her as sort of on a pedestal and being distant and aloof. And you think of her as being, you know, Jackie Kennedy, first lady. And, and when I met her, I found her to be so incredibly accessible. And I found her to, I, I, as I wrote in the book, I felt that I could ask her any question that, I wanted to ask her and that she would eagerly answer it. And because she trusted you in that way, and she was so open to you in that way, there was no possibility of you ever asking her any of those questions. 
Because what, what kind of a person would you be to have betrayed her trust in that way, right? Something I didn't write in the book is that Michael Jackson was a friend of mine. And Michael was getting ready to work with Jackie on uh, his autobiography. And he called me up one day and he said, um, you know, this is such an opportunity for me. And I'm going to ask her every question that I ever wanted to ask her. You know, Michael was very, very uh, interested in the assassination. He was very interested in the whole Camelot history. And he had all kinds of books about Jackie and the Kennedys. And so it was a fascination of his that people just didn't know about and he said, you know, this is my chance. You know, this is my one opportunity, right? <laughs> and I said to him, Michael, you're not going to ask her any of those questions. I guarantee you. And he said, oh, no, I am. I promise you. And he called me back the next day and he said, I couldn't ask her any of it. You're right. <laughs> and, and that's really, you know, that's, that's, that, that was, as I wrote in the book, I think her secret weapon is that she was so accessible that she made it impossible for you to want to betray that accessibility. And in a way, that's how she trafficked in New York from the time that she she moved there in 1964 until her death 30 years later. You know, she she basically uh, would go out of her home and walk the streets of New York without security, without bodyguards, and um, and trusted that New Yorkers would not mob her. Uh, she was, you know, of course, she was followed by paparazzi everywhere she went. But New Yorkers would not mob her. She trusted that they wouldn't. And they returned that trust by by not doing so. Uh, I just think it's an interesting and fascinating way for a celebrity to live. And was it then difficult when you came to write the book and interviewed people that they had the same uh, sense of, 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 of reticence? Well, throughout the, the 25 years that I've interviewed people on, on about the Kennedys and about Jackie, I, I saw sort of a gradual shift in that. You know, 25 years ago, people were a lot more uh, disinclined to want to talk. And then with the passing of years, they became more open, partly because, uh, you know, she died. And then partly because of my reputation as a biographer. I have to say, you know, uh, that that has helped me a lot. You know, that my books are available at the Kennedy Library, uh, that, you know, I've never had any uh, dispute with the Kennedys over anything I've ever written. And I'm, and I've never had any kind of a falling out with any of my sources either. And I think that that's important. And plus, I think the tone of my books matters a lot. People who read my books realize that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not reading a hatchet job, you know, that I do my best to, to be, uh, intimate and candid but also to be fair and uh empathic as as it were so and, and uh, I, I, I haven't had as much trouble as you might think and when you've said that's something that's also grown and, and as you got older and as you've written more books you've become more sympathetic but does that mean that the things that have been left out things that you've discovered that you haven't used that's a good question andrew uh and uh, and i have to say that i don't think anyone's ever asked me that question <laughs> But I will say this. The answer is yes, because I, I learned a long time ago that just because something is true doesn't mean it needs to be known by everybody. You know, a lot of true things need context and they need a deeper understanding. And because so many people are dead or, you know, not with us any longer, sometimes you can't get that context and you can't get that understanding, but you do still have the true thing. And in that case, I just let it go. I, I, you know, I tell my researchers there, there is no story that matters so much that we, uh, can take a chance on, um, 
you know, jeopardizing somebody's character in the public eye, or even even jeopardizing our relationship with the source who may who may uh, be damaged by that information because we don't have the other the other side of the story, right? And I've managed to have bestsellers without having stories in the book that I can't stand behind 100% or that I would feel, you know, kind of, you know, guilty about writing. Um, and uh, It is a very warm book. I mean, I, I found myself feeling your affection for her, even as you did reveal quite a lot of secrets. And, and I know you said that the Kennedys were not the main focus and lots of things have been written about her time as a Kennedy, but I was quite stunned. I mean, I didn't know half of what uh, she experienced, the sexually transmitted diseases, which may or may not have caused a miscarriage, which her husband didn't even bother to come home from holiday. That's a shocking story. Um, but but there is a warmth to what you... I mean, did you find you liked her more and more the more you learned about her? Well, uh, thanks for that, Phil. Um, what I found was that I liked her so much before I even started, you know, and... And that, you know, that, that is important to me as a biographer, as, as a historian. I simply cannot write about somebody that I don't like and that I don't have passion for. I just can't do it. It is too hard. You know, I mean, you're spending years working on the, on this thing. And if, if you don't like the person going in, that is real drudgery work, you know, and I just can't do it. Life is too short. So I, I, and I also, really want my readers to love my subjects by the time they finish the book. Now, as they're reading, they might have moments when they're not so sure. They might have moments when maybe they don't like the person. They might have moments when they question the person's motives or they question something that happened in the book. But, you know, that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't go through life completely loving every, every moment of, of every second of a person's experience. But I think that, as long as I can take you to a place by the end of the book where you actually don't regret reading it, because there's nothing worse than, you know, uh, pouring through 500 pages only to get to the bottom, to the last page and think to yourself, oh, man, you know, why did I even bother? Right. <laughs> I want you to get to that final 500 page and be happy that you read it and feel like you really like this person and that you're glad you spent all that time with this person that's that's my goal if i can't achieve that and i've had a couple of projects along the way where i didn't think i could achieve it i just abandoned the book you know so was there anybody you liked less by the end anybody in her life who you you sort of felt what you discovered made you think hmm. um no i have to say no you know i i i i i, I have to say that even Aristotle Onassis, who I've written about many times in the past and who have not, I've often not been a fan of in my, in my previous books. You know, this is a different picture of Onassis as well, where I think that you actually do a thing that you never thought possible, which is your heart goes out to him. You know, that, that by the time he is, you know, very sick and he's visiting Jackie's uh, parents, his, his mother-in-law, uh, Janet at Hammersmith. And Jackie has to tape his eyes open with band-aids and then put sunglasses on so nobody knows. And Janet gives him a rosary um, because he tells her that he doesn't believe in God anymore. He's just too sick to believe in God. She gives him a rosary and says, you know, you must never stop believing. And that's the last time they ever see each other. 
I actually think that, you know, your heart goes out to him in those moments in a way that maybe your heart never went out to Aristotle and Nessus. Because if you think about it, who even imagines that Aristotle and Nessus had a mother-in-law, right? You don't even, you don't, right? You don't think of him in terms of, of, of a real person with a mother-in-law, right? That, and, and with, a, you know, with a father-in-law, Hugh Auchincloss, you know, that, that really he got along with very well. I mean, I, I think that what I wanted to do with this book is show these icons in a way that was very personal and made you think, yeah, I get that. I, I totally get that. Yeah. I, I get that. Because he was sort of, people thought he was a bit sleazy. He was buying this woman, this glamorous, famous woman. Um, but actually, the way you describe it, the, the, there was very little intimacy, perhaps no sex at all in the marriage. There was a financial arrangement. There was a friendship and there was support. I, I, I thought that was really nicely done. Thank you. You know, Jackie said, and I think it's quoted in the book, that no two people know what goes on in a marriage with the people in it, right? And I think it's 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 easy for us to, you know, stand stand back, you know, 50 years later and have, you know, judgments about other people's marriages. But I think that in the case of the Onassis, they had it, they had a deal. You know, they had an agreement in place and and it worked for them until there was a point when it didn't work for Onassis because he felt that Jackie got the better end of the deal. You know, and as I explained that in the book as well, you know, she he was he began to become unhappy. But I think a lot of that had to do with the reversal of his business fortunes at the, at the same time. And I think he was lashing out at her because of that. But I, I think that essentially, you know, he was a complex man but i think that he was a good man he he did what he said he was going to do for her you know he protected her he gave her a good life and um and i i found a lot of good in onassis and i I was surprised i mean that's one of the surprises for me when i was writing this book was i never thought that i would i never thought i would when he dies in the book i actually felt something about that i you know when jackie calls her stepfather and tells him that he's gone and that you were such a good friend to him i wanted you to know you know, I, 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 he didn't have many good friends. She tells him. Um, I felt, I really felt that when I wrote that. Well, also that the Kennedys weren't more supportive of her financially. I mean, which is why she had to make some of those decisions. Uh, that that seemed very fresh. Um, yes. Well, you know, uh, you know, Jackie had this image of you know of of money and wealth and you know and living this life, but it was never her money. Right. It was always somebody else's money. And and she knew that when Hugh Auchincloss, as much as he loved her and and she loved him, that when he died, his money was going to go to his natural children. That would be Jamie, who who I interviewed for the book and Janet Jr. and his other kids. It wasn't going to Jackie or to Lee. And when Janet's father died, Grampy Lee, she hoped that she would get some money there. And she didn't. And, you know, there, there was just like this sense that you, she needed to do something, you know, to secure her, her fortune. And it's so ironic because her mother was in the exact same situation when Jackie was 13 years old and Janet had no money because Jack Bouvier, Janet's first husband, Jackie's father had just like spent it all. There was nothing left for her. And so she married Hugh Auchincloss for the same reason that Jackie married Aristotle Nassus. It wasn't love and romance. It was practicality. 
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, Hugh, Hugh is a wonderful man, and they were married for many, many years. But even their son, Jamie would admit that it wasn't about love and romance. It was about practical concerns. You know, how am I going to support my two daughters? And Jackie's concern was, how am I going to support my two children? And that was really the reason she married Onassis. Plus, as I explained in the book for the first time, Onassis' sister, Artemis, you know, was pulling these strings, right? And uh, and was, you know, working her sort of Greek black magic to make sure that this happened. Because a lot of your research is done by other people, is that correct? And then you pull it together. So is that difficult if, if you haven't done the research to sort of think, well, has something been missed? Or do you just trust your researchers to just get everything? Well, um, that's a good question. And I, I do trust my my researchers because they've been with me since 1989, right? So they, I mean, it's a long time. And they, so they... They, and in particular, Kathy Griffin, who's the, the chief researcher, they, they just, they know, and she knows exactly what I like and what I don't like. You know, they know what don't bring me, you know, these, you know, crazy stories that just are, are going to make great headlines, but will make us all look bad and make, make our subjects look bad and maybe, and probably aren't true. You know, when you deal with Kennedy, business and show business There's all kinds of stuff coming your way so they know what i like and then also uh, you know i did i did do some of my own research and interviews i mean i have these moments when i stumble on somebody like i stumbled on the family of of bingham uh morris booch uh in uh Jan- jackie janet's uh third husband uh booch when i stumbled upon members of his family while I was doing research for this book, that was a big sort of get for me personally, you know? So i occasionally I, I come up with my own little bits of genius, you know, but I do depend on my, my, my research staff. And then another thing I want to say is that if it's somebody that really matters, like Jamie Auchincloss, you know, like somebody important, then I will go and interview that person myself many, many times. I, I sat down with Jamie Auchincloss more times than I can count, you know? So 
there are usually you know, out of maybe a hundred interviews, there might be, you know, 20 that I feel like I need to know. I, I think there's nothing worse than being on TV with an important source and you're in one box and that person's in the other box. And I've never wanted that person to say, I never even met this guy. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> to building trust, presumably, because I mean, some of your revelations are, are about the Kennedys, you know, and about the marriage and about, you know, her, her sort of concerns about the marriage. And I mean, this is well covered territory, but other people clearly have missed it. Now, why is that? I mean, it's not just the focus. You know, I'm, I'm always surprised about the revelations in, in my books. You know, there are so many things in my book, like the, like Artemis Onassis is a character who's never been written about Ari's sister. You know, uh, Janet's, Janet's accusation that her, her husband, uh, Booch was, you know, sexually uh, molesting her. I mean, there, you know, the, the last ditch attempt by Ted Kennedy, you know, to save Jackie with a, with an experimental treatment that wasn't uh, sanctioned by the FDA. I mean, how is it that these stories are not known? And I, and I don't know the answer to that, except I'm just glad. You know that that's the case. You know because it is it, it, it when when one of these stories comes my way, first thing I do is go on the internet to see if anybody else has covered it. And then when they haven't, and I believe that to be true, and I have really have the documentation, I'm, you know, I can do my little happy dance and realize that this is something that's going to make a difference in in the history of this particular person. I don't know what the answer is to that. You know, when I did Jackie Ethel Joan, Women of Camelot, like twenty three years ago. Uh, it's about the women who married into the Kennedy family, the sisters-in-law, Jackie, Ethel, and Joan. People came up to me and they said, well, surely this has been done before. I mean, it's so obvious. Of course, somebody in the last 50 years will write about the three women who married into the family, but nobody had, right? And when I did Jackie, Janet, and Lee, which is Jackie and her mother and her sister, people said, well, of course it's been done. I mean, obviously, a subject like that is so obvious that somebody must have covered it by now, and they hadn't. So I, I've just been lucky enough to, you know, to, to have ideas. I think maybe a part of it comes from my thinking when I start a book. My thinking is always, what is it? What I, what kind of book would I like to read about this particular subject? You know, what what would interest me if I were to sit down with a book about this kind of subject? What would I be interested in? And in answering that question, I often find that the answer turns out to be something that no one else has done before. I mean, you say you like writing books about people you 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 like, and I think that the, the focus is on the family. Often, I think you've talked about that, but I mean, you've written a very wide range of books. You know, the showbiz books and celebrity and political. Is there a different approach in each book, or is it basically the same? Well, I mean, I think it's basically the same, you know, these, because the, the the one thing that all these people have in common, Frank Sinatra, Michael Jackson, Elizabeth Taylor, Grace Kelly, Marilyn Monroe, you know, I mean, the Hiltons, all these people, the one thing that they all have in common is they come from families, right? They all have families. And, 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 and even if they're fractured, they have families. You know, Grace Kelly had, you know, a father who, you know, who was, you know, very difficult and a mother who was very critical. Uh, you know, uh, Marilyn Monroe had a mom who abandoned her who suffered from bipolar disease. Uh, you know, every every Elizabeth Taylor had a stage mother who 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 do dominated her life and 
and then lived to be like 90 something and had been around for all of Elizabeth Taylor's husbands. I mean, so, you know, I land there, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not real big on my forte. Isn't, um, you know, the makeup artists who did at the movies or, you know, the, the cinematographer from, you know, uh, from, um, Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Or you know, like I, like I, I'm not big on that. I often tell my researchers when they come to me and they say, "Well, here you know, here's the key grip from uh, from uh, one of Grace Kelly's you know films." And you know, I'm, unless the key grip was a family member, <laughs> then I, I'm I'm not as interested in people who aren't a part of the inner circle. I'm more interested in what happens. When somebody like Jackie Kennedy returns from the campaign trail back home to her parents' house, you know, or when Grace Kelly is finished with a movie and then goes back and has to deal with her mother, you know, or when I wrote about the Hiltons, Zsa Zsa Gabor, who I love, you know, and, and, and her relationship with Conrad Hilton, I think is just, you know, fantastic. And so I, my approach is basically the same, which is, you know, what's going on privately? I mean, I think that I, I've said this before, and I think that my job as a biographer is sort of to invade a person's privacy. And and if I do that, that means, you know, going backstage as opposed to what's happening, you know, in front of the cameras. And is it easier to do if the person's dead or alive? Um, I think it's the same process. You know, I, I think that, you know, it, it could be said that if a person's dead, that that absolves you of you know any legal jeopardy. Um, but I feel that I, I absolve myself of that already just by virtue of, the, of my work ethic and what I do and how I do it. It doesn't really make any difference if the person is dead or alive. I still am not going to defame that person. You know, I'm still going to be as fair as I could possibly be to that person, and I'm still going to tell a, a, a fair and honest story. So I, I think it's I think it's the same process. I'll t- I will tell you this though. Knowing the person makes a bit of a, a slight bit of a difference, like actually knowing the person. Like I've written about Diana Ross, who I know, Michael Jackson, who I know, you know, Jackie Onassis, whom I knew. And the, that's a bit of a difference because then you've got that, per, that your experiences with that person sort of in your face and you've got their, you know, I listened to some of my voicemails that I saved from, from Jackie. And I listen to them and I, I can see her in my mind's eye. And that does help you shape your, your narrative, you know, um, whereas I never, I never met Grace Kelly. I never met Marilyn Monroe. So it is a little bit different when you're writing about a person, you know, I was, we talked about the warmth, but also a bit, I was very young and I wasn't American, but there's a lovely nostalgia about the way you write about, the Camelot era, you know, historians these days are meant to debunk everything and say, oh, it was awful, really, behind the scenes. You know, he was a compulsive womanizer and everybody was drunk and arguing. But actually, maybe that's true. But it was, it was also very, very special. I think a lot of Americans in particular would love to have a White House like that again. And the style and the grace and the diplomacy that she brought, all the her skills with languages and the way she charmed everybody. And it, there was something very, very classy about it. And even if Thank that, you. Even if that's a cliche, it's a cliche no. for a reason. Um, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I've gotten from a lot of people, you know, on my book tour, 
I've gotten a sense of nostalgia from a lot of people who are like, you know, that, that, that was a time and place, you know, that makes, but that pulls us back in a, in a longing way, you know. America was just cool. Was, America was rich and cool. Wasn't it, it was, it's you know, really and rich. also there was a sense of decorum and decency that we don't have anymore. And there was just a, you know, it's a time and place that was very different. I'm, I'm not sure. Like, for instance, you know, it amazes me, speaking of things that people didn't know, how is it possible that the most famous woman in the world, Jack Kennedy, could have a three-year romance with an architect who designed the Kennedy uh, gravesite at Arlington? And nobody knew about it, right? It's like, if you go back, you're not going to find clips in 1964 of Jackie's romance with Jack Warnicky. You're just not going to find it. It just was not. And today, it would be all over Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know, Facebook, I mean, TMZ. There is no way that a celebrity could have a three-year romance with, a, with, with somebody practically getting ready to marry him. If she's the most famous woman in the world, that's going to be known today. But they were they they were able to keep that a secret back then, and I think that this, it was a, a different time and place where people actually could have private lives that you can't have today. And I wonder, actually, following on from Phil's point, I mean, in some ways, part of the attraction of your books is is this world that you create, which is which is attractive and which is family focused and. Uh, where it's positive uh, about people who, with achievements and, and 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 I mean, do you think that's right? I mean, when you talk to your fans, do they say we like your books because of this, this, and this? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, as a biographer, you know, I have a whole spectrum of of, of a life to 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 that I can tell, and I have the luxury of cherry picking the bits and pieces of, a, of an entire picture that I decide to tell. And it's interesting because when I wrote my first book on Diana Ross, it was like, you know, 2000 pages. It was ridiculous, right? And Jackie Onassis told me, uh, uh, you know, she said, you know, your book is insanely long and your problem is this. She said, you need to find, she said, there are many stories in the big city. You need to find your story and then you need to tell it well. And then don't tell the other stories at all, right? Which is which is the best advice that I've ever gotten as a biographer. It was it was that from her, because what I do is I decide which stories are the stories that I want to tell, and because of the way I was raised and because of the way that I write books and the way that I think about people, they're they're going to be good stories that are going to be empowering and they're going to be colorful, but they're not going to be bland. They're going to be you know they're. People have great lines in my books. You know, people do say interesting things. I mean, I just think that 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 I want to create a picture in the bits and pieces that I've decided to tell and string together. I want to paint a picture that makes people want to stay with the book and makes you want to live there. I want you to know what kinds of foods they ate. I want you to know what kinds of dresses they wore, what colors they they liked, you know, what what their surroundings looked like. And I also have to say that this is one of the reasons why my sources think that I'm I and my staff are just huge pains because we go back to these people a dozen times to get this information. Like nobody is just interviewed once from from my books. We go back and we go back 
will go to Jamie Offenkloss and say, you know, what color was the dress your mother wore in 1967 to this event? And he'll be like, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? How would I possibly know that? And I said, well, just, you know, go back and take a look and see if you can find a picture in the attic and some box, you know. And sure enough, he will come back with this picture of her, of his mother wearing this particular dress. And we know exactly what color that dress was, you know. And, and it's that kind of detail that I think that draws people in and makes them want to stick with the story because they feel like they're participating in it. Because you have a very clear picture then of how you're going to tell the story. I mean, you you use very short vignettes, very short chapters. Um, so there must be a lot of material you don't use. That must be very frustrating. Or does that not matter as long as you've got the, the narrative right? Well, you know, the reason for the short chapters, and I've always done this, is because my books are, you know, they're they're pretty thick and people generally are they can be intimidated by a gigantic book right i hear i hear this all the time from people and and so i de- i developed a system many books ago where i will you know uh have short chapters that will uh allow you to you know read three pages and realize that that's the end of the chapter take a look at the next chapter see that it's only two pages and then you figure okay well i can do two more pages right and then you read those two pages and you see the next chapter and it's only three pages and you're like well i could do three more pages and you read those and next thing you know you know you're halfway through the book so i kind of sort of trick my readers into <laughs> into reading the book because if you see a chapter and it's another 40 pages you're like you know what i'll deal with that another time you know but if it's only three more pages you're likely to just read it and and yeah a lot of stuff gets left out i would say 50 percent of what i write does not end up in the book um and uh but i am pretty merciless when it comes to this you know i even though those 50 pay those those 50 that 50 percent cost me a fortune in research you know like every story has a monetary attachment to it because the, every story is, is a result of a researcher who got paid, right, to f- find that story. So when you're cutting stories, you're basically throwing money out the window, you know. But that doesn't matter to me at all. In fact, I I forget them so quickly that I'm I'm often amazed at how quickly I forget a story. Like as soon as it's come back as soon as it's done in my book, it's. As soon as it gets cut from my book, I completely forget that it ever existed. But, but even in this book, I mean, you've used material, it's clear from the source notes, from, from research that you've done on previous books and presumably not used. So it's never wasted in some ways. You just keep coming back. You've talked about also liking to do books on women because they have bigger emotional lives. I mean, is that is that still true? Well, I don't know that that's true. I mean, I remember when I said that, I, I said that in an interview and then I was like, do I really feel that way? And then before I had a chance to figure it out, it was in the story and that was the end of that. So it's like, sometimes you're just wedded to your top, to off the top of your head comments that you don't really know if you feel that way or did you just feel that way in that moment? Ooh, well, you I, can correct I, it now. Yeah. I think that's not true. I, I think that, you know, when I think about Frank Sinatra, when I think about Michael Jackson, when I think about, you know, Conrad Hilton and, Prince Renier and the men that I've written about, um, you know, George Bush and, you know, the men, the presidents I've written about, those are pretty full emotional lives. So I think that that's a generalization that I I can't really uh, adhere to. But I will say that I think that not just just because you're a celebrity doesn't mean that you are, are 
that you have the kind of life that people would want to read about, right? For instance, who's 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 more famous than Tom Hanks, right? And did you really? No offense to Tom Hanks, who I'm sure is a wonderful person, but I can't imagine that Tom Hanks has the kind of life that's going to fill a 500 page book and it's going to make you just like can't wait to get back to reading about Tom Hanks, you know, or Harrison Ford, or you know, like some Meryl Streep. I'm sure she's got she's a fast. I'm sure she's fascinating in her own way. No, I have no idea. But it's just that when can you? I can't imagine. Oh my God, I can't wait to finish this book about Meryl Streep, right? I just think that some people have great big emotional lives and some people just have, are just famous because they're great actors uh, or great performers. And sometimes the two just don't meet. We're nearly out of time uh, because we're very mean on this uh, podcast. We're famous for our meanness and we don't even have a professional Zoom account. We think it's discipline. We're also cheap. But last question, you mentioned about people with big lives. Uh, can you give us any hint as to who the next person with a big life might be? Or are you keeping it close I, to I, I can't. You, you've hinted at Princess Diana. Wow. I, it's funny because people come up to me all the time and say, I loved your book on Princess Diana, right? And I've never written a book about <laughs> Princess Diana. But it's just so obviously a J. Rainey Tarabroli book. People just imagine that they've read it already, even though I've never done it. Well, I can't give you a hint. I I think I would lo- I think I'd be great at that you know but I actually think that I'd be better at the royal family you know with that where Princess Diana is a a part of something bigger um, and then trying to fit into that picture that that's kind of what I would want to do um, I do have another book that I just I'm just signing the, the contract this week I can't tell you what it is but when but I will tell you this. It makes all the sense in the world. Oh, intriguing! And 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 I only have a year for this one, which is unusual because usually it's a two or three year project. But I have I just have one year for this book, and it's due next year, and it's coming out the year after that, so it'll be out two years from right now. And when you see it, you're going to say, "Aha! Uh-huh, makes perfect sense." That's really is it cool. tied to an anniversary. Uh, no, it's not. Mm-mm. Well, well, thanks so much for your time. It's a great pleasure to to meet with you and to hear a little bit about how you work and to get some uh, that nice mix of um, the sort of the, the warmth and the scandal. Um, thank you, uh, thank you, guys. I was looking forward to doing this. And you please you read should... Jackie to anybody who's listening. Read, 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 read the Jackie. Please read, read not... Jackie. Public, private, secret. I really it. was looking forward to meeting you guys. I'm glad we had a chance to do this. I hope we get to do it again because because I admire you both so. You know, well, as a, biogra- as a biographer of Diana myself, I'm prepared to sell you quite a lot of my offcuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deal. It's a deal. You can be a researcher. Well, I, uh, maybe I need one. <laughs> Very nice to meet you. See you nice soon. to talk to you. Okay, Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.